Okay, so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 8. Happy Memorial Day weekend. Memorial Day is tomorrow. Thank you um, for any of you who have served in the military. Uh, do we have any folks who've served in the military here online? All right, we got one. Thank you, brother, for, for your service. We appreciate your sacrifice, your service to help defend and protect and serve this country. We're grateful for all the blessings that we have here in America and the great price that was paid so that we can enjoy all the privileges that we get to experience here in this nation. Amen. So last week we we looked at Jesus dealing with spiritual blindness. We looked at how Jesus was uh, interacting with the Pharisees who were seeking a sign. They were spiritually blind and they, they wanted to see something different than what he had already been doing. Miraculous things, healing the sick, uh, raising the dead, cleansing lepers. He was doing things that the Messiah would do when he, when he came, when he would come. And they still wanted something else. They wanted something more. They were spiritually blind. They were willfully blind. And then Jesus also had these disciples who were rolling with them the whole time who had a, who struggled as well to see and fully understand who Jesus is and fully understand what his mission is. And they had some blindness as well. And what we saw last week that Jesus healed This blind man, literally, this man who was physically blind and he healed him in stages. And we talked a little bit about just how that was a pointer to how Jesus was working in the lives of his disciples who he had been unveiling, uh, opening their eyes to who he is. And he expressed uh, some some correction, some in- instruction about where they were, and f- as far as understanding, remember they they after Jesus multiplied the fish and the loaves, they still they still didn't get it. They still missed some some things there, and Jesus uh, had to continually be patient with them and shine the light of truth to them and walk with them, and it was a gradual process of them grasping who Jesus is and what his mission is and what they were called to do ultimately. And in this passage we're going to look at today, we, we see the revelation uh, uh, being given here. We see Peter finally gets it to to another level of who Jesus is, uh, but he still needs some, some ongoing instruction in, in what the mission of Jesus the Messiah is. So let's pray and we'll d- dig in. Father, thank you for this passage that you have placed in your word for all of your people, for all of followers of Jesus, believers in Jesus, to really know who Jesus is and to really know what it means to follow him. And I pray that here at City Church, that as a result of our time here in this text and reflecting on who Jesus is and what it means to follow him, God, I pray that we would get closer to you, that our eyes would be opened even more and that we would live out the massive implications that Jesus is the Son of God, the Messiah, that Jesus is Lord. That we would live out those massive implications in our lives, in our marriages, in our relationships, in the way we treat one another, in our work, in our prayers, and in our commitment to following Jesus into the hard places. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right. So Mark chapter 8 starting in verse 27. And Jesus went with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say I am? Who do you say I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. 
And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. Peter took him aside and he began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the son of man will also, the son of man also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his father and the holy angels. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. So here's our big idea. Every believer must come to grips with who Jesus is, what he has done for our salvation, and what he demands of us. Every believer must come to grips with who Jesus is, what he has done for our salvation, and what he demands of us okay and so first let's let's just start with this uh where jesus was at he was in the region of caesarea philippi when he was having this discussion and this was the residence of herod philip located in northern palestine it was uh known for pagan idolatry the area was so it was a dark place a dark area dark region and in that context jesus Ask his disciples popular opinion about who he is. What are people saying or who are people saying that, that I am? And there were a couple different ideas that were common. One was John the Baptist. Remember, Herod uh, thought that Jesus was John the Baptist raised from the dead. He had this guilty conscience and uh, perhaps a bit superstitious that John the Baptist had come back to haunt him. Possibly. Um, so he thought maybe this was John the Baptist. Well, Jesus and John the Baptist uh, were to, around at the same time. John the Baptist baptized Jesus. They're two different people. Two great men. And then some thought Elijah. This is Elijah. It's Elijah come. It's a, it's a sign of the, the end times. Uh, others, one of the prophets. Perhaps the prophet uh, that Moses talked about and these are these are noble noble answers okay these are honorable answers of uh, exalted um, positions and honorable answers to who Jesus might be he's somebody great and and here's here's some of the ideas and it reminds me of how today there's many people who will say Jesus it was a great prophet was a great teacher was a great man who had a great example to be modeled to to, to to follow but it must go deeper than just saying jesus was a prophet okay it, it to, we must know who jesus is he asked his disciples the question he he answered and he asked them but who do you say i am and this is a question that every one of us has to come to grips with. Every one of us has to be able to answer and know accurately according to the Bible, who is Jesus? Okay, everyone else may say he's a good teacher, he's a prophet. In the first century, they thought maybe it was John the Baptist, maybe Elijah. But who do you say I am? And so here, Peter, for the first time, clearly makes known his identity, what he believed in his heart in response to Jesus's question. Jesus was giving him an opportunity to reveal what he believed about the Messiah. And perhaps he spoke up for the rest of the disciples too. Perhaps they believed this as well. And he, as the spokesman says, 
But but you are the Christ. He declares it. You're the Messiah. The Hebrew word for Christ is Messiah. You're the long-awaited Messiah that the scriptures have talked about. The Messiah who would come and deliver his people from oppressors, from the Roman oppressors, from, from, from those who've oppressed the Jewish people throughout centuries. And so knowing Jesus involves recognizing his identity. Okay? Knowing Jesus involves recognizing his identity. These guys were walking with Jesus. And as they were walking with Jesus, they were becoming acquainted with him. And they, you know, remember back when he he stopped the, the storm and he said, peace, he said, shalom to the storm. They were freaking out, thinking they were about to die. And Jesus is just with one word, shalom, peace. And the winds and the waves just, just calm down. And they're like, who is this? The disciples were like, who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? So they were wondering, they were seeing Jesus do all these amazing things. They're wondering, who is this guy? And not long before this, they saw Jesus open the eyes of a blind person. Healing a deaf man, not long before that in Mark. And so here, Peter uh, voices the revelation that had been given to him about who Jesus is. His identity. Knowing Jesus involves recognizing his identity and submitting to his authority. Okay, and we'll see that later on here in the passage. Um, in Matthew's gospel, Matthew gives a fuller account of, of this particular moment. And he, he adds in there, um, Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And he answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Notice what Jesus says here in Matthew's account. He says, this revelation that you got, Peter, about the Messiah, about and, and me being him, you didn't come to this conclusion by, by your own understanding, by, by figuring it out all by yourself. You didn't, you didn't invent this idea. It didn't come from you. You didn't make it up. This came from above. This came from the Father. And the Father graciously gives revelation of who Jesus is. It's a gift. It's a gift from God to have our spiritual eyes open to see who Jesus is and to really know Him. That's our vision here, to know Jesus. To know him, to know him intimately, to know him accurately. While many others around us may say, yeah, he was a good guy. He was a good teacher. He, he taught some good principles. Well, we say he was much more than just a good teacher, much more than just a good guy, much more than a moral teacher. He is the Messiah and he is Lord. In Matthew chapter 11, 27, he, Jesus said, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. You see, knowing Jesus, knowing who he is, and knowing him in a relationship is a gracious gift from God. God graciously opens our eyes to know anybody, you, they have to be willing to let you in on who they are and open up their heart and disclose themselves to you and share with you who they are. And that's what Jesus did with his disciples. And that's what Jesus has done with each of us who are Christians. He's opened our eyes. He's opened our eyes. If, if your eyes have been opened to see that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the way, that he is the savior of the world, the way, the truth, and the life. Know that God's grace has visited you. If you know that, the spirit of God enables people to confess, to see and believe and confess Jesus as Lord. Now notice in verse 30 that Jesus' response here. You would think after Peter gets it right, he asked him that question. He gets it right. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. You would think that Peter, that Jesus would say, all right, 
go tell everybody now. You got it, Peter. Go tell everybody. But he doesn't. He doesn't do that. And again, we see, as, as Jesus has done a number of times throughout Mark's gospel, he tells those who he heals. Uh, he's telling his disciples here uh, not to go spread the word about what happened or what was revealed. So, so you, we must ask, why? Why? Because later on we see in the Bible, Jesus commissioning his disciples to go, to tell everyone, to preach the gospel, to go make disciples of all nations. Well, there's a couple reasons I think and that, that theologians point out as well. Um, and one is just that, that he didn't want to hinder his mission. Okay? We've talked about this already. Jesus didn't want to hinder his mission in, in Mark chapter, or John chapter 6, the crowds wanted to come and take Jesus by force and make him king. They had a concept of the Messiah being a military leader. Okay? And, 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 and they, Jesus didn't want that to happen. He was pushing back on that. The, there were lots of misconceptions about the Messiah. Okay? And his disciples didn't fully understand his mission as the Messiah yet. Okay, yeah, they, they got revelation that Jesus is the Messiah, but they still needed to, to understand what that fully meant. They still needed, they still needed another touch for their eyes to be opened even more to see what that means for Jesus to be the Messiah and what he actually came to do. He came to deliver his people from their sins. And the average Jewish person was thinking that the Messiah would merely deliver them from their oppressors such as Rome at the time. But Jesus came to deliver us from Satan's grip and sin's grip, the oppression of Satan and sin on our lives and to bring his kingdom. And eventually he will come back and deliver his people from oppressors physically. So Jesus says, tell no one at this moment. The next thing I want to point out is that knowing Jesus involves accepting his redemptive work for you. So after Peter got it, by the grace of God, by revelation from above, that Jesus is the Messiah. Okay, you're the one. You're the one we've been waiting for. It's showtime. All right, all right, Messiah's here. Let's get it on. What's going down? Well, Jesus is going to teach him what's going down. Jesus is going to go down to the grave. He says, he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. And after three days, rise again. And he said this plainly. Here's the gospel. Here's the gospel right here. The Messiah would have to suffer. The Son of Man, okay? Uh, this, this term, Jesus loved to use this term re regarding himself. And uh, it's used in Daniel as this Messiah figure who would come and bring rescue. And he, and he says that the, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected and be killed and rise again. Now notice, notice his response. Okay, Peter missed it big time here. Peter took Jesus aside. Okay, now, this is kind of funny. He's like, okay, I think, I think you got this wrong here, Jesus. Okay, I got it right. You're the Messiah. But Jesus, I, I think, I think you, you're off here. Come here, come here. Let me talk to me here for a minute. So he pulls him aside. And he has a little conversation with Jesus. And, and perhaps his intentions were, were good. Perhaps they were great. I mean, Jesus, Peter was like, you know, he was very protective of Jesus. You know, at one point when they came to arrest him, he's ready to, he chopped a guy's ear off, a soldier's ear off. He's, he's ready to fight. He's ready to, 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 to do whatever it takes to <clears throat> protect Jesus. And so he pulls him aside because in his theology box, suffering and the Messiah didn't reconcile. It, you know, it didn't make sense. No, the Messiah, he's supposed to conquer and tear down the enemy, right? Fight and overcome. Suffer, die. No, Jesus. No, no, I think you got this all wrong. He pulled him aside, took him aside, began to rebuke him. Can you imagine that? Just for a minute. 
rebuking Jesus. It's one thing to question if you have doubts or maybe you don't understand. Jesus, can you explain this to me? I don't understand. But when you start rebuking Jesus, you might be in the territory of arrogance and pride. For here, we know it's at least ignorance with, with Peter. He didn't, he didn't know. He didn't understand. He needed to be taught. He was still grasping some things and Jesus was patient with him. Nevertheless, Jesus shot it straight with him and he was very candid. All right. He was very real. He, he let, let Peter know what was up by turning this, by, by turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter. So Peter rebuked him like, no, no, you're not going to die. No, this, that's not going to happen. Jesus rebuked Peter and notice the rebuke here. He says, get behind me, Satan. How would that feel if you were Peter in that moment? Emotionally, how, how would that make you feel if Jesus called you Satan? Get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Right? And so I, I love that the, the, the Bible puts not only the victories of Christ followers and, and those who are believers walking with God, but also the failures and the weaknesses and the struggles of those who are walking with God. Because you and I can identify with that. I'm sure we can all identify with Peter and his, his bloopers and his, his failures and others in the Bible. And that's one of the things that, that points to the authenticity of the Bible. Is that it records stuff like this. And so at one moment, Peter is getting it right and he's, he's, he's declaring revelation from heaven. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. But then he's getting in the way. He's, he's a, a hindrance. He's a hindrance to, he's trying to stop or block or talk Jesus out of going to the cross and letting that happen. Now, does it sound familiar? Does it, does it remind you of the 40 days and the 40 nights in the wilderness when Jesus was in the wilderness fasting and praying and Satan came to him and tempted him three times, turned this, this rock in the bread? Okay. If you're hungry, if you, if you are the son of God, why don't you prove yourself? Okay. Um, um, <clears throat> throw yourself off the temple. Um, it's, it's written that he will, he, he won't let you, uh, harm yourself. He lets you dash your foot. He'll carry you, uh, with angels. And then, then he says, if all the Satan takes them and shows them the kingdoms of the world and he says, all these are mine, bow down and worship me and you can have them. Just, just bypass the cross, bypass the suffering and the hardship and, and all that stuff. Just take the shortcut here. I'm offering you a shortcut. Just, just bow down and worship me and you can have all this stuff. And what did Jesus tell Satan in that moment? Get behind me, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Satan left him. So here in that moment, we see Peter being a mouthpiece for Satan. Okay? Being a mouthpiece for Satan. Being a hindrance for, for getting in the way of what God has planned and what God has willed. And it's, I think it's important, important to note here that, that believers can do this. Okay, you and I can do this. In one moment, we can be, I can be up here preaching the Bible and, and explaining the Bible, and I can also be a mouthpiece for the enemy if I'm not careful. And notice how he says that, in that you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. According to Jesus, Peter's thinking is still earthly, it's still man focused about what the Messiah came to do and what, and what would happen. And Jesus was trying to get him to lift his eyes up to see something much greater than just earthly things and the things of man. And so he began to, to teach that not only would he die, would he suffer as the Messiah, but then he began to teach what it means to follow a crucified Messiah. A, a Messiah who would suffer according to Isaiah 53. In Psalm 22, you see, uh, many of the, the, the rabbis, they didn't connect those passages, those Old Testament passages like Psalm 53 and Psalm 22 with the concept of the Messiah. 
Okay, they didn't have those categories put together. But but Jesus was both. He came as this great Messiah who would deliver his people from oppressors. But first, sin and Satan, the kingdom of darkness. But he would suffer. He would overcome and suffer and die. The next point here is that following Jesus requires denying ourselves and taking up our cross. So Jesus explained what it meant for, for the Messiah, what it meant for him to be the Messiah, what the Messiah would do, what his purpose and his mission would be, namely to suffer and to die and to rise again. That's why he came. It was necessary. It was a must that Jesus would die because he would become the atoning sacrifice for the world. He would become the only sacrifice that could wash away the sin of the world. And it was necessary that he would come and that he would die for us. It was necessary that he embraced his own cross. And then he begins to teach his disciples that it's also necessary for you and I to carry our cross as well. And let me point out, too, that knowing what Jesus has done for us, his suffering, his death and burial and resurrection is foundational for us in following him and taking up our own cross. First, we receive what he's done for us. Let us not be like Peter who gets in the way and says, no, Lord, you're not going to do that. Let us not be like Peter in, in a similar manner who when Jesus uh, got down low to wash his feet, he said, no, don't wash my feet, Lord. And Jesus said, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you don't have any part with me. Right. So Jesus needed to teach Peter that he came to serve and he came to give his life as a ransom for many. And that following him would involve suffering and would involve serving others as well. So knowing Jesus involves accepting his redemptive work. It involves recognizing his identity and submitting to his authority. Okay, it's not enough for us to just know that Jesus, you're the Messiah. He doesn't want us to stay there. There's lots of people in churches who know that, who confess that every Sunday. Yeah, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Messiah. But are you and I... Who, who confess that and believe that and robustly say, yes, that's true. Are we submitting to him, to his authority as the Messiah, as Lord, as the son of the living God? And Jesus teaches us what that looks like in the following verses. Verse 34. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. And follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake. And the gospels will save it. So following Jesus has some requirements to it. It has some demands. Now let me be very clear. Salvation is free. Based on what Jesus has done for you and me. By dying for our sins. And we could never pay for that, we can never earn our salvation. We receive what he's done through his suffering, his death, his resurrection. And we get life eternal. We get freedom. We get reconciliation with God. We get redemption. We get blessing upon blessing in Christ Jesus. Grace upon grace in Christ Jesus. Not based on what we do, but based on what Jesus has done. But when we get it. When we get it, not only that Jesus is Messiah, but that, that the Messiah came and he died for us. He displayed his love for us that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. He took our place. He died to death that you and I deserve to die. The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And when we get it, when that gospel message sinks in, it moves us and empowers us and motivates us and energizes us to deny ourselves and take up our own cross and follow him. Luke 9.23 says, uh, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily. 
It's a daily thing. And follow me. If anyone desires, and if you have a desire to follow Jesus, it is the grace of God. If your eyes have been opened to see who Jesus is, it is the grace of God. Grace has visited you. God has shown up in your life, and you can be thankful for that. But know that he wants to take you deeper than merely knowing who he is. And knowing what he came to do, he wants you to respond Not only in faith and and acceptance in what he's done, but respond in obedience to his lordship, to his authority in your life. Following him means denying yourself. It involves denying yourself. It involves taking up your cross. Now, when, when they heard this, they, they were familiar with the idea of the cross. It was, it was a, it was a common a punishment for criminals in the first century. And around that time, I uh, read or heard that there was about 30,000 uh, crucifixions that took place. And so they would walk by that. They would see criminals up on the cross hanging there. Terrible sight. And so it was, it was a public spectacle. It was a public display of here's what happens when you rebel against Rome. Right? And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to have to take a Take my cross, and you're going to have to take up a cross. His cross was for our salvation. And the cross we take is in response to what he's done for us as his disciples. Salvation is free, but discipleship may cost us everything if we follow Jesus. Paul said it like this in Galatians 2.20. He said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself for me. Deny yourself and take up your cross. Identify with Jesus as crucified. When you got baptized, saints, when you went into the water, according to Romans 6, you you were uh, carrying out this powerful gospel symbolism that you died with Christ. Okay, that's a spiritual reality. You've been crucified with Christ and you've been raised to life. And the water baptism points to that reality that you and I, Christian, have entered into. We've died. And Romans 6 says, consider that. Consider yourselves dead. Dead to sin. And die to yourself. Die to yourself daily. Die to your your selfish preferences, your, your, your willful ways, your irritations with others and impatience and judgments of others die to yourself. And we can do that by the power of the Spirit. Romans 12 or Romans 8, 12 and 13 says, so then brothers, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. But for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Okay, this is what it means to follow Jesus. You put to death the deeds of the body. You say no to sinful inclinations. You don't let sin reign in you. You deny yourself, you take up your cross, and you follow Jesus. Second Corinthians 5.15 says, He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. The gospel has power to break and loose narcissism and selfishness in our lives. Where we are the center of our universe and everyone else and everything else, including God, revolves around us, moves around, orbits around us. Hey, get that for me, please. Or get that for me. Hey, I want this. When we become Christians and we let the gospel sink in and do its work in our lives, it dismantles this narcissism. It dismantles this selfishness where we take on the mindset of a servant and we begin to wash feet instead of calling everyone else to wash our feet and to serve us. If Jesus came to serve and not be served, but to serve and give his life for uh, ransom for many, then you and I are called 
to walk in his footsteps. So what does it mean to take up your cross? Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, The Cost of Discipleship, says the cross is laid on every Christian. The first Christ suffering which every man must experience is the call to abandon the attachments of this world. It is the dying of the old man which is the result of his encounter with Christ. As we embark upon discipleship, We surrender to Christ in union with his death. We give over our lives to death. Thus it begins. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life. But it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man, he bids him to come and die. Bids me come and die. And find that I may truly live. Oh, the wonderful cross. Oh, the wonderful cross. All who gather near, by grace draw near, and bless your name. It involves suffering. It involves hardship. And it's not just any suffering and not just any hardship because there's plenty of non-Christians who suffer and go through hardship in this life. But it's hardship and suffering because you're following Jesus. It's hardship and suffering because you've identified with Jesus, because you're committed to Jesus, because you're confessing Jesus is Messiah, Jesus is Lord, and because you're living in accordance to what he taught and how he calls you to live. And so you experience ridicule, getting canceled. You experience persecution, accusation, slander, cut off. In many countries, you get cut off from your family or even killed if you become a follower of Christ. And though we may not see intense persecution in our day here in America, it still happens in many places in the world when you become a Christ follower. You get cut off. And it's hard and it's difficult. But let me tell you this, it's not joyless. It's a narrow and difficult way that leads to life and following Jesus. But there is joy, even in the midst of suffering. Joy that strengthens us. Joy that goes beyond just this earthly experience. Joy that we look forward to. As Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured his cross. J.C. Rowell says that as a soldier follows his general... As the servant follows his master, as the scholar follows his teacher, as the sheep follows its shepherd, just so ought the professing Christian to follow Christ. Memorial Day. Soldiers, again, thank you for those of you who've served in the military. And the Bible likens discipleship to being a soldier. Second Timothy chapter three as a good soldier, right? We're called to be dedicated, committed, surrendered abandoned to the will of another rather than demanding our own way and our own will. Namely, we're committed to Jesus' way and Jesus' will. We're called to learn, to be disciples, disciplined learners who are learning the way, who are studying Jesus and studying his teaching. We're we're called to follow him as sheep and he's our shepherd and he leads and feeds and guides us and we respond to his voice and to his promptings and to his nudges. We're called to be disciples. In that word disciples, uh, we got the word discipline. Disciples are disciplined learners, students. Clyde Snodgrass, I love that name, Snodgrass. I'm sure he had trouble growing up with that name. He said, discipleship is more than acquiring head knowledge and memorizing scripture verses. It is learning to give Jesus Christ total access to your life so that he will live his life through you. Discipleship is not about humans straining on their own. It is the necessary result and consequence of faith in and following after Jesus. Relation to Christ activates and empowers the whole life. But if humans do not choose to act and actually act, nothing happens. Discipleship doesn't happen passively. Okay? We must be intentional. 
You don't just coast into discipleship. You don't just coast into sanctification. You don't just coast into Christ-likeness and godliness. It takes some intentionality following and walking and doing so by the power of the Holy Spirit to put to death the deeds of the body. To say no to sin and say yes to Jesus because his will is so much better. He offers so much better than what this world has to offer. And we're convinced of that, are we not? If we're not convinced of that, then we're just going to indulge in worldly things and love this world. But Jesus' following words are meant to motivate us not to do that. He says, for what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? What does it profit a man if if he were to gain the world? Now, now first of all, it's impossible. Nobody's going to gain the whole world. Okay? It's, 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 it's elusive. It's deceptive. It's, it's a, Satan puts it out there. Okay. You want the whole world, right? You want all the kingdoms of the world? Like, you're not going to get it. Okay. It belongs. The king of kings is ruler of all. And then secondly, if you could gain the whole world and get there without God, you would be utterly dissatisfied and disillusioned. As many wealthy, famous, influential people are. They get to the top, so to speak, of success in their job and in their career. And they get all the stuff and they get all the the reputation and they get to it and they ask the question, is this it? I think Tom Brady was recently one one of those. Like, Super Bowl ring, Super Bowls, is this it? There's got to be more to life than just this. What good is it to give yourself over to these things such as your career, which isn't a bad thing. Give yourself over to it where you lose your own soul, where your career becomes first or your sinful habits become first and, and just doing what you want to do and not surrendering your, surrendering your life to Jesus and going after that thing that you think that you want. Jim Elliott, the missionary who was killed trying to reach an unreached people group, He said, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. If you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. You try to preserve your life and save it uh, apart from God's work and will and God's ways and you got your own little agenda, your own little kingdom and you're going to keep your life and do your own thing and experience happiness and pursue your dream. Jesus says you're going to lose your life if you you do that. It's what the world does. Another theologian says that the only question is whether one will lose all as a follower of Jesus for the sake of God's reign or as one who refuses to follow and obey. And so as Christians, we can lose our lives trusting that we're going to gain true life. That Jesus has that for us. And he's given us eternal life. And so we can loosen the grip on what we think should happen in our lives. And lastly, he says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the son of man, also will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father and with holy angels. And so be unashamed of Jesus in following him and taking up your cross and denying yourself. You might look a little weird to the world, to outsiders. You might be seen as a weirdo. Your convictions, abstaining from sexual immorality before you get married, that might seem a little stuffy and and old and rigid, but if you're going to follow Jesus, you need to present your body to him as holy as a sacrifice. Giving, being a generous person, tithing, giving of to what you have to others to bless others. That may seem illogical to others. Taking the low road, humbling yourself. You know, the kingdom of God has these many paradoxes. If you want to live, then die. If you want to be great, serve. If you, you want to be exalted, humble yourself. You want to be joyful and happy and content? Give. It's more blessed to give than to receive. Right? And so when we, when we follow God's kingdom patterns, we experience life as it should be. 
as God wants it for us, abundant life. And a part of that is us not being ashamed of Jesus. Us being so committed and wrapped up, giving our allegiance and affection to Jesus that we don't care what other people think about us because we, we love him and follow him. Like we're, we're willing to look like fools for Christ's sake. We're willing to be rejected by people and not be in the cool crowd for Christ's sake. Not follow popular opinion for Christ's sake. And there are times in, in cultures where it's, it's cool to follow Jesus in certain areas, right? Where you can kind of be cool and, and still, you know, follow, follow him, but, but we gotta surrender that and not hold on to those things. Not try to be people pleasers. Not, not worry about what people think about us and following him. The opposite of being ashamed is being proud of. Being bold and, and proud of and not holding back. Why would we be ashamed of the gospel? Why, why would we be ashamed on Facebook to post something about Jesus? Why would we hold back from saying Jesus is Lord? Or just John 3.16, posting that on, on Facebook. Or, or not share, why would we be ashamed of talking about Jesus with the, with the, um, uh, waitress or waiter at, at the, the restaurant? Why would we be ashamed of sharing with somebody the, the hope that we have? And so if you feel that, make it a matter of prayer. If you've been ashamed to talk about Jesus, to identify of Jesus, Make it a matter of prayer and ask yourself, what's what's going on in my heart that I don't want to talk about Jesus and the gospel with others? Why am I afraid? Why am I ashamed? Why, what's that struggle there? Do, do I care more about my image of what people think of me? Or do I care about what they think about God and them learning about him being the only hope? And so let me close with these two points of application. First is to abide in Christ in view of his return. Abide in communion and relationship. Meditate on his word and what he said so that you're not ashamed of those words. Ponder his words. Let them sink in. Ponder who he's revealed himself to be. Abide in him. Abide in his words and let his words abide in you. Much fruit will come forth. First John 2.28 says, Now little children, abide in him so that when he appears, he may, we may have confidence and not shrink back from him in shame at his coming. Okay, so if you don't want to be ashamed at his coming, you don't want him to be ashamed of you at his coming, abide in him. Don't be ashamed of him here. You'll have confidence at his coming, at his return. You won't shrink back. Stay connected. Live with a Christ awareness, a God awareness daily. Communing with God, connecting with God, thinking about God, talking about God. Letting scripture be internalized in your heart and your mind. And cultivate honor for Christ and readiness to speak of him. This is 1 Peter 3.15. He says, but in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Cultivate a greater honor for Christ in your heart than you have for other people and even yourself. The Pharisees love the praises of men and honor from men. Don't let your heart go after that. Don't care about that too much. Let honor for Christ, reverence for him, be cultivated in your heart. And as you do that, you will be ready to speak about him. Have a readiness. Have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel peace. Be ready to talk to your neighbor when they ask you, will you pray for me? I know you're a Christian. Will you pray for me? I'm really struggling right now. Or ask, ask your neighbor, how can I pray for you? And when they ask you about your faith and why you're a Christian, why you're a believer, be ready to share the answer and make a defense and be gentle and respectful to them. As you share your hope. If you guys would bow with me in prayer. So as we're, we're praying here. If you would. Just ask the Lord. 
to search your heart. And thinking about some of these maybe challenging words, the demands of discipleship. If you push back on those, if you're pushing back on those, maybe ask the Lord why. Why am I struggling with this? Or or if perhaps you haven't been submitted to the Lordship of Jesus, ask why. Why am I short-sighted? Why can't I see like I'm supposed to see and live like I'm supposed to live? Jesus said his yoke is easy and his burden is light. I think that's amazing. It's amazing that he can say such challenging words like deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me and say things like come to me, I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. One of the reasons I think, one of the ways I think that connects is the reality that he gives us strength to carry our cross. He empowers us. We come and we surrender. We bring our weakness and his strength fits perfect in our weakness. We bring our sins, our bloopers, our failures to the cross and we get forgiveness. We get empowerment, grace to do what he's called us to do. Be who he's called us to be. And so, Father, now in this moment, I ask that you would just download grace in each one of us as we come before your throne of grace. For mercy where we've failed, where we've blown it, where we've been selfish, where we've tried to build our own little kingdoms. Forgive us. And would you empower us to follow you. To follow you with joy. In Christ's name we pray.